Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's a race week. Once again, we had to Bristol Motor Speedway this weekend for a pack weekend full of racing three days thursday friday saturday we'll get to that later in the show we also obviously have an amazing guest with us today but first a big thanks to our sponsor bet online back better than ever all eyes are on the gridiron as we had the first opening week of the nfl season this week monday night football last night so week one is in the books hopefully everybody was able to get their bets in and bet online has even more odds props and contests and continues to be the number one source for everything football head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100% welcome bonus that's double your initial deposit for just signing up don't forget to use promo code nfl 100 and another big thanks to our other sponsor balance seven you can see how balance seven has helped many other people and right now if you go to balance7.com and use promo code believe that is b-l-e-a-v you get ten dollars off their 32 ounce bottle the bottle lasts 11 days which is the perfect amount of time to feel the ph balancing drink go to work Again, that's balance7.com and use code believe, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout. So I'm so excited to have our guest on today, Kyle Petty. None other than Kyle Petty. I mean, you got a lot of stuff going on between NBC, doing the coverage for NASCAR, but also the Kyle Petty Charity Ride coming up in just a week from the September 21st to the 23rd. I know that's going to be so cool. Such a great you know opportunity for you to you know use the word revive it, right? Bring it back. And uh, it's so cool to see that coming back. It's so cool to see everything you got going on. And we're so glad to have you here on the, on the show with Tommy Joe. Obviously, you did an interview with Tommy Joe earlier in the year. That was awesome. So ep- episode 46 of the Drivers Meeting Podcast is underway. Kyle Petty, glad to have you here. Well, first, let me say this. Um that I'm a little disappointed that you didn't have me on your 42nd, your 43rd, your 44th, <laughs> or your 45th broadcast because I drove all those cars. I wish, you, I wish. You chose to have me on the 46th one. I mean, I, I, I don't understand that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a little heartbroken right there. I could have I, I could have run with any of those other numbers, but not 46. But that's, yeah, that's bad management on our side. <laughs> I know. That's, that's my that, fault. That hurts a little bit. I, I got to tell you. But, um, so, yeah, the charity ride is coming up. Excited about it. Um, we did the charity ride for 25 years, um, all the way to 2019. And that was our 25th year. We rode from Maine to Miami, from LA to Charlotte. Uh, the last year of the ride, we went from, uh, Seattle, Washington to Key Largo. And then a bunch of us just rode down to Key West to say we had ridden all the way from Seattle to, to Key West. Uh, and then 2020 and the pandemic. So that kind of shut everything down and we didn't do anything, um, the beginning of this year, we were still tentative. Uh, so, but we decided we'd do something the end of the year. And where it's, it's, even though it is a Kyle Petty charity ride, we're calling it the charity ride revival. Uh, and we're going to use one location instead of traveling a lot of places. We're going to use one location, uh, a hotel called the Homestead. It's in Hot Springs, Virginia, close, close to where the great Rick Mast lives. Uh, so we're up, up in his neck of the woods and we're going to go over to the D-Day Memorial in Bedford, Virginia, then we're going to up to Seneca Rock, Rocks, uh, and visit that area. That's a that's a tourist area, and then over to uh, the New River Gorge Bridge. So it's about a hundred miles out, hundred miles back, two hundred mile days, uh, three of them, and then it's just to get everybody back together. It's kind of like when the Cup Series come back, and the, and the Xfinity Series, and the Truck Series come back. You get to see everybody again. 
And that that's part of the cool part about racing is getting to be around everybody in your garage area. So we're we're kind of putting a garage area back together, but we're doing it at the homestead. Yeah, that's going to be tough. I'm guessing, Kyle, that's probably what you got bugged about more than anything last year was probably putting together this year right again. Yeah, you know, I it, listen, when you do you when you do something, you just get excited about things, you know what I mean? And we just uh you know, they have to take off a year from the charity ride. And and listen, we've got the 2020 charity ride. It's planned. It's in a box. We know where we're going. We, we had it planned. We did our site inspection. We have a hotel reservations. We just had to call up and say, hey, can you kick those reservations to 2021? They were like, sure. And then we called the beginning of this year and said, can you kick those reservations to 2022? And they were like, sure, we'll do it again. So uh, that that ride is ready to go. But we, we had to keep something going with this little ride. For sure. Uh, it's so cool to see it back. And I know, you know, you talk about just reviving things and reunions and stuff like that. And, and you and the, the NBC crew, I mean, I imagine it's been, you know, nice to be back at the track with everybody as well. Well, some of them it's nice to be back with. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I kid, I kid. <laughs> no, it, listen, it has been. Uh, we started this year, uh, Dale Jarrett and, and myself, um, because we do pre-race and post-race. And we started this year. Uh, still under COVID protocol. Um, we, the first few races we did from a studio here in Charlotte when they went to Pocono and when they went to, to a couple of races, we went to Nashville. That was the only race we went to on the NBC half of the season. Um, and that was hard. You know, that, it's hard, man. It's hard to, to, to not, it's hard to talk about, about a racetrack where they're actually racing and you're setting 600 miles away. Uh, and, and it's hard to seem excited about it. So I was excited to be back with Dale, be back working again. But at, at the same time, it was difficult. Um, and then things begin to open up a little bit more. Um, even with the Delta variant, things begin to open up a little bit more for us. Um, and, and I think enough people were vaccinated and the protocols that NASCAR has in place have been, been stringent enough that, that they've made everybody feel like they're in a safe place anyhow. Uh, so that, that allowed us to come back to the racetrack and man, it's been fun. It's been fun to be able to, to walk through, uh, the different garage areas and, and to go down on pit road and see everybody. So Kyle, you've been a part of the sport for so long. And obviously I think a lot of people on the podcast understand that you were my favorite driver growing up, but, but I really want to talk about how much change there has been in NASCAR over the last, let's just say even two years. Change with the schedule, change with uh, the way that we do a race weekend. Obviously, all the COVID protocols and how that shifted. Now we're having no practice, uh, no qualifying, just kind of show up and race and all the different things that happened. Is this the most change that we've ever seen in NASCAR? Like, I'm letting you put this in context for people as, as a bit of a NASCAR historian, probably one of the best ones we have. It's the most change I've ever seen over such a short period of time. Yes. Um, and, and you have to say that, you know, and, and, and I, I don't believe this sport could have done this. Okay. Could have done what they're doing right now. 15 years ago. I know they couldn't have done it 25 years ago uh, with the cars that we drove in the nineties and they for dang sure couldn't have done it when my dad and those guys race, just unload line them up and let's go race. They, they just couldn't do it. Now, if we go back to the fifties and sixties, that's exactly what they basically did. They just brought stock cars, lined them up, jumped in them and went and raced on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon. So the sports kind of come full circle. 
the difference is the vehicles that they used in 1950 is totally different from what that Xfinity car that you jump in and, and, the, and what the cup cars are and the engineering that go into it. I, I think, you know, I think NASCAR realized um, a number of years ago that to be relevant, to stay relevant, they had to change. Um, and you can't just change a car overnight. You can't just re-engineer the wheel overnight. They had to look at it and understand or try to figure out where they wanted to be and what they wanted to do. Um, so I think the car that we're going to run or that the cup cars are going to run next year uh, with the independent rear suspension, the rack and pinion, all this stuff. Um, I think a lot of that is going to be is the culmination of 10 or 15 years, just as when, when they went to fuel injection. That was the culmination of of eight or 10 years of study and hard work to get there. The schedule thing, man, wouldn't it? I, I drove, when I started, Tommy, when I started in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, and ran those first few seasons, we used to run Riverside in January, Riverside in June, and Riverside in November. Um, and everybody hated road courses. Everybody hated road courses. And, you know, then we went to Watkins Glen when they tore Riverside up and made a housing development out of it. And, we go to, to Watkins Glen, we go to Sonoma, and people still don't like road courses. And all of a sudden, in the last six or seven years, it's like, oh, my God, you guys don't have enough road courses. You got to have a road course every four races to make this series a legitimate series. I think the short tracks have suffered because when I came along, it was all short track racing, and I, and I enjoyed that part. So I, I think the scheduling has changed. The car has changed. Um, how people perceive the sport has changed. And, and we're in a different place with the sport, uh, trying to build it back to what what it was maybe in, in the early 2000s. But listen, I, I will say this. I disregard the early 2000s in that, in that area era in a lot of ways. Um, Why is that? Because it was almost a bubble. It, it was like an internet bubble, okay? And, 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 and I, I want you to, if you ever get an opportunity, if you ever have an opportunity to look, and you look at TV ratings, and you look at attendance, um, and you look at things like that, we kind of grew from the 70s to the 80s into the 90s and into early 2000. And then we didn't grow. We exploded. We exploded, man. We exploded. Um, and, and when you ask people why, everybody scratches their head and scratches their butt because nobody knows why we exploded. You know, It just took off. And then when it came back down, everybody's like, oh, my gosh, it's, it's going through the floor. What, what happened? But if you go to where it came back down, there's still that steady climb. There's just a spike in it. There's just a spike. So we've continued steady growth from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, into 2000, 2020. It's steady. It's a rise. There's just a spike. So take that spike out. Take that spike out. I'm a farmer. I had a good crop that year. I had a good crop for four or five years, but I know that my farm's getting better. I know that things are getting better. So I look at the sport and I see it getting better, um, but it's got to change. The, the sport's constantly got to, it has to evolve, but I think it always has. I think it's always been a little bit of a chameleon and it's always changed. So Kyle, talk to me a little bit about that era. So the nineties to the two thousands, I mean, I hear stories about this, right? And and I, I was on a podcast one time with a guy that basically said, you know, I think one of the problems uh, with NASCAR today is that, you know, uh, drivers and, and teams, you know, they, they don't do, they don't work hard enough to go get that sponsorship. You know, like back in the day, 
uh, you know, in the 90s and the early 2000s, cars were sponsored for the entire season. They had one sponsor for the entire season. Uh, and I went, well, man, that's really interesting. I was like, there was, you know, back in the 90s, we didn't really have the internet. Yeah. I was like, so <laughs> I feel like we can't really compare eras you can't. <laughs> in the same way. But at the same time, Kyle, I want you to put that in context for all of our listeners. When you talk about kind of the boom period and sponsors and money and, and teams and, and full season deals, what was that like? Because, I mean, I've heard stories about guys literally walking around on pit road with stickers just looking for a car to sponsor yeah. that made a race. 60, 70 cars showing up. And, and that's, listen, that's what we had. You used to go to Daytona um, when I started. And, you know, there'd be 70 cars. There'd be 70 cars trying to make the Daytona 500. And you run those 125s, qualifying race, whatever they call them now. And you know what? They actually meant something. Unlike yeah. today where they don't mean anything, right. they actually meant something. You drove your guts out to be in that top 14, to know that you were in on speed. And then the last 10, because we had a 40-car field in, the last 10 – come in on time. So you busted your butt all winter to throw up a qualifying time. And then you busted your butt or a week to make a race car out of a rocket ship. Uh, so you could go out there and run that 125 mile race. But here's the difference. Okay. And, th and this is, this is a part that people can't wrap their head, their brains around. Um, I think we signed that deal with mellow yellow and what 91 or 92 Yeah, for an entire season. It was like a million and a half dollars. Okay, for an entire season at the cup level, at the premier level, running on TV every week, getting it done was a million and a half dollars. As a winning team. Yeah. And so fast forward 10 or 12 years. Oh, my gosh. Now it's a four and a half or five million dollar deal. You know what I mean? And man, you know, I've actually had sponsors and I know you're not going to believe this. I have actually have spon had sponsors in my career on a, on a car that paid, you know, four or $500,000 and never called back to see what we were doing. They just sent you the money and knew their decal was on the car. You know what I mean? Well, now that four or $500,000 decal, you know, is, is a four or $5 million decal. It, or it got to that point. It got it. I won't say it is now, but it got to that point where, you know, associate sponsor, was a two and a half million dollar deal. Well, they, they want to know what they're doing, what, what's going on. And, and when, when, when a company can send you a million and a half, that's one thing. When a company sends you 16 or 18 million, they're, they're your partner, dude. They're in your business. They're telling you what to do. They're, they're there. So the sport got to a place that was a strange place, man. It, it was just a strange place financially. Um, and, and I think the money it, and, you know, you hear this your whole life, be careful what you wish for, uh, because it changes things. And, and I think that changed the sport. And then when the bubble burst, when that spike, a lot of teams signed up to those big deals and then they had to contract, you have expansion, eventually you're going to have contraction somewhere. So they had to, they had to come back and, you know, fabricators suffered, mechanics suffered, teams suffered, drivers suffered. Um, and, and that's just the way it I, I say this all the time. And, and this is a, a, a bad Kyle Petty thing. If you could take the manufacturers out of the sport, if you could take Toyota and Chevy and all those people, it'd be a better sport because they're the ones that make, they're the ones that make the separation among the teams. If Joe Gibbs didn't have Toyota, he would just be Joe Gibbs racing. Okay. If, if Rick Hendrick 
just had Chevrolet. It just be, didn't have Chevrolet. He'd just be Rick Hendrick. Right? If he didn't have the almighty, you know, bow tie behind him or the Toyota or, or Ford or whatever, because, you know, I talk to teams today that can spend, you know, 20, 30, $40 million a year, but they're still not going to compete with Gibbs because they don't have access to everything else they need. That's the problem. They don't have the access. So that's the separation now more as much as anything else. But the sponsorship game, you know, it's not, there were guys walking around. You didn't, you make a race and you didn't have anything. Yeah. They put a decal on it and, and you know what, but it was a $10,000 deal. It was a $15,000 deal. It wasn't what guys are asking now guys miss or don't make races now, or guys are looking for decals and, and, you know, you need a hundred thousand dollars. You need $150,000. Yeah. You'll take 25. You'll take 15. You'll take 50. It doesn't make any difference. We're racers. We'll take every dime you got. I don't care, man. <laughs> Just send it. I'll put it to you somewhere. But that game has changed a little bit. So even big teams like Rick, even big teams like Joe, um, they can't just have one sponsor. You know, the, the, the time of one sponsorship is, is kind of faded. And Kyle, you actually did what I am currently doing. I'm sitting in the shop right now. Yeah. <laughs> you did this. You operated as CEO of Petty Enterprises. You started your own team with PE2. You, you did what I'm doing. Was that like, I just want tell me the lessons that you learned from being an owner driver, because like there were days uh, when I come in here and quite frankly, it sucks yeah, uh, when it you come suck. here and, and you're uh, having to make all the financial decisions, but also you're living with all the competition uh, part of it, too. Yeah, it, listen, it, it sucks bad. Um, so here, <laughs> OK, so we agree on that. Yeah, yeah we definitely agree on that. Because of this, because of this is um, there, there's so many layers to this onion that, that it's hard. The main place that it that for me, okay, the, the two main places for me was I knew, I knew that my responsibility was to find sponsors. My responsibility was the financial side. And then once I got that secured, then my responsibility was to run good on the racetrack and, 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 and keep those sponsors happy because there were a hundred, 150 guys that were dependent on me to keep the doors open on the place. Right. Okay. And, and you're the one that has to sell the sponsors and, and listen, I've had to let people go. Um, I I've had to, I've had to fire people. Okay. Because when you're in that position, that's the way it is. It is incredibly, and I won't say easy, so let me let me clarify that. It is straightforward and to the point when you don't do your job and I can walk in and say, hey, you're just not getting it done, dude. You know, I need uh, you need to go somewhere else and play in somebody else's sandbox. It's incredibly hard to sit across the table from a guy and say, I just don't have the finances. And that's not your fault. That's my fault. That's Kyle Petty's fault because he didn't find a sponsor that could keep you employed. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Now, at the same time, then I got to get up from that desk and go get in a race car, okay, and drive and your mind somewhere else because you make financial decisions to keep the company open that hurt the performance of the car on the racetrack because you would spend every dime you had to make that thing run as fast as you could so you could win races. But you're in that, you're in that dead man's land that no man's land in between being financially secure 
and not being financially secure and wanting to be able to throw everything at it, but not being able to throw everything at it. Um, it's, it's a tough place. And you realize that you're racing against guys who play golf five days a week and then <laughs> to show up and get in the car and all they got to do is focus on a race car. You know, you know what I mean? And, and they've already got you beat in some strange way because they are dead focused on nothing but hanging on to that steering wheel and, and making that car work. And you're hanging on to that steering wheel and saying, I need to get around this guy. I need to. I'm not sure the outside is going to be good. If I get up there, what if something happens? What if I tear this thing up? That's this. That's that. You know, if I back this thing in the wall, that's rear end housing. That's motors going to jam my train. You know, there's so many different things. So and you try not to you try to tell yourself that's not happening. <laughs> you try to tell yourself, I don't think that way. But you do think that way. I mean, when we had when we had John Andretti and and Buckshot and all the guys we had, we'd go to the wind tunnel. This is a true story. And you can ask anybody that's ever worked for me. We'd go to the wind tunnel. We'd blow every car. You know, you you blow it and you look at the numbers. And I'd give John and and we'd put it in a lot in a, in a rotation. John would get the best car, or Buckshot would get the best car, and then they would get the first the first or second best. They'd go back and forth. And I would just always take the worst car because the point was I had to make those guys successful too. I had to make that team. I believed in my ability and I thought I was doing the best I could, but looking back from, from this perspective, you know, I didn't always, I wasn't always the best race car driver in the world after I started running a race team because it was harder. My best years were when I just showed up with a helmet, jumped in a car and drove a race car. Um, once I started with hot wheels and once I started with, with Adam's team and all this stuff and going back to petty enterprises, that was different. So that is a tough, tough thing. I've, I've seen people, I've seen people be successful. Um, but the people that I've seen be successful, um, honestly, and, and I will say this to you, honestly, have no life. They have no friends. They have nothing but a race car during the week and setting it in a, on, a, on a Saturday or Sunday. And then they go back to do the same thing. So I'm not sure that's an existence that I ever wanted. Um, and I just, I wouldn't, I couldn't commit to that. Yeah. So you've talked to me a little bit, like when we talked before we, uh, we got on camera in New Hampshire, yeah. we were talking in the hauler and you, you were talking to me just kind of about the dynamic with smaller teams. Cause you've been that yeah. right. And I think that's probably why you, probably looked at me and, and uh, you follow the Xfinity series, you follow these different series and you yeah. see smaller team guys is the fact that you kind of did this on your own. Do you think that's what's kind of made you like a little bit of a fan of that? Oh yeah. Most, it, most definitely, man. Listen, I am a fan of junior Johnson. I'm a fan of Richard Petty. I'm a fan of Bud Moore. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of those guys. And I, I, I I'm going to say it to you this way. Okay. And this, because I'm from rural North Carolina, and this is the way I've always said it. You are doing the same thing we did. You are a family farm. You are a family farm. You know, you, you just raise race cars. I don't get me wrong, but you are a family farm <laughs> and, and that's your job. You live out of it. You drive it. You know, you drive the tractor, you plant the seed. You're the family farm. One day, you know, Junior Johnson was a family farm. Bud Moore was a family farm. The Wood Brothers were family farm. One day, somebody started industrial farming, and that was Rick Hendrick started industrial farming, and and you know, and Joe Gibbs and and Penske and these guys, 
And they're the Del Monte's and, and the people, companies like that, that just raise hundreds of thousands of acres of tomatoes when I'm raising, you know, a 40 acre patch here. So I, I still had a place in the sport, but that place wasn't, was never going to be what it was again. And that didn't mean I didn't work. That didn't mean I didn't bust my butt 365, 24 hours a day to make everything work. And, and, you know, I hate it. I hate it when, when a, a, a race team or, or you look at some of these guys and they say something about working hard. Listen, dude, you don't work any harder than I worked. And I don't work any harder than the next guy works. We all work hard. Everybody's hard. <laughs> we all work hard. We all put it on the line. Every time we open the door at 6 7 o'clock in the morning to go into that shop. And when you walk out of it, whether it's five o'clock in the afternoon or 12 midnight, it doesn't make any difference. You're giving everything you have. So I can, I can look at your team and your organization. And that's why your new deal is, is so, so heartening that you're making progress. You're moving to a different level. You're doing something different. You're making, you're moving the needle because so many teams will get there and try and, and, and just say, okay, I'm here. I'm not going to move the needle. I, I, I won't, but, but you want to be better. And that shows how hard you work, but I can look at your team. Uh, I can look at Jeremy Clemens and those guys. And I think, man, I've been there. I've been there. You know, I've, I've run engines with, with mismatched valve covers. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. I've had this machine and adapter to put a, a, put a transmission on a, on a bell housing that was not, did not belong on that, that engine. You know? had, to, had to cut an oil tank yeah, to uh, try right. to get a little more real travel. <laughs> I've, I've pulled, I have pulled, I've pulled the oil pans off of engines at the racetrack, cleaned them with Varsol and lacquer thinner, cut the bottoms off of them and took an inch or so out because they were dragging the racetrack <laughs> and had to do it at the racetrack. So right. the thing is, the, the thing is, but you know what? A lot of these guys had, you know, and honestly, and I don't mean this in, in a bad way, but these teams are so specialized. A lot of these teams had, uh, a lot of these team members had, you know, I've said it a million times, Leonard Wood, smartest man I ever met in my life, bumper to bumper. He knows more about aero. He knows more about engines, gears, transmissions, chassis. It doesn't make any difference. You will never see another Leonard Wood in our lifetime. We'll just never see it. Um, you know, Ray Abraham is probably as close as I've ever, I've, I've seen to come to it. Um, but in a lot of ways, I don't think he can carry Leonard's luggage, uh, because Leonard just learned it and just knew it and has retained it. So I, I think, I think it, it is just, I can look at your team and I know when your team runs 10, that that's a huge win. That's a huge win. And, and people in the grandstands, they don't understand that. They don't Listen, I work with a lot of people that don't understand that. They can't grasp that a 15th place finish for some of these teams is, is the same thing as a win for a Gibbs organization. You know, is the same thing as lapping the field, you know, for a Ganassi organization even, you know, when, when you look at it. So I think the sport has changed and you got to know where you're at. Um, and, and, but you got to kind of, you got to manage your expectations, but at the same time, I don't, I've never spoke to a driver whose expectation wasn't to go to the racetrack and win the race. Um, they always talk, L listen, I used to go and qualify 36 and I dreamed that there was a 35 car pileup and I won the race. Okay. <laughs> so we all want to win races no matter what. So how do we change it Kyle? Because like, I think I've noticed something here 
with Formula One, right? So this might, just bear with me here because it might be a little bit of a stretch comparison, but it feels like they are really generating a lot of interest here uh, in, from racing fans, from people that aren't racing fans. Um, and a lot of people are kind of pointing to that Drive to Survive documentary on Netflix. Have you watched that? Yeah, I've, I've seen like just a little okay. bit. Okay. So, but I, I think it's this idea that fans were able to kind of relate to the drivers throughout the entire field. Right. And, yeah. and I think it's given them perspective on like when they see George Russell in a Williams that has been struggling and now he's finishing eight, that's as big of a story yeah, as yeah. Lewis Hamilton winning the race, because like, quite frankly, we all expected Lewis Hamilton to win the race and first happened to win it. And so they're looking for the stories throughout the field. Whereas, look, I just don't feel like that happens in NASCAR. Am I wrong here? No, you're not wrong. Here, here, listen, here's, here's what is good uh, about the sport and what is bad about the sport um, at the same time um, is social media, is 24 hours of racing anywhere, anytime, anyplace. Um, and we get into where fans, they only want to talk about Kyle Larson. Okay. So if the fans only want to talk about Kyle Larson, then that almost drives the media to talk about nothing but Kyle Larson. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And, and when the media only talks about Kyle Larson, then that drives the fans to talk about nothing but Kyle Larson. <laughs> so it's which came first, the chicken or the egg, you know? Yeah. And, and it takes, it, it takes us, and I, I say us by, by being racing media, by being Pockris, by being Nate, by being a lot of the, the people that follow it, to step outside that. And, and, and let me tell you why Tommy Joe's important. Let me tell you why we can't run a race without this race team. You know, let, let me tell you why Jeremy Clemens means so much to this sport. Let me tell you what, he's, what his dad did. Let me tell you the history. Let me connect the dots here for you. Let me tell you on the cup side, you know, why Rick Ware racing is important to this sport. You know, why, why, why we need Rick Ware. We can go back in time to when my dad raced and we've always had those stories, whether James Hilton, Cecil Gordon, John Sears, Elmo Langley, um, GC Spencer, you know, Wendell Scott. I mean, they're all, you got to have those stories. If you don't have those people and that group of cars, and then you don't have Richard Petty and David Pearson and Kelly Arbor and Bobby Allison and all those guys. That That's just the way the game's played. But we let fans down, and I say that as the media, and, and I don't believe all the media believes this, but I believe that we let fans down a lot of times by not creating stories to say, this is why I need to pull for this guy. This is why, you know, this is important. We wait until they do something. And then we talk about it. You know what I mean? Where they did something when they run 14th last week. They did something when they run 13th the week before. They did something when they put together a string of top 20s and they're starting 35th and 36th every week. You know what I mean? They did something. They did something. And, and I think, I, I don't know if it's, if it's, it's not all the media because it's the fans too. The fans just don't have an appetite for it sometimes. They don't want to, they don't want to hear things sometimes. You know what I mean? They want to hear the success. They don't want to hear the struggle. Um, they only want to hear the struggle when you become the success. You know what I mean? And then it's like, 
Oh man, let me tell you this story. Well, listen, that story has been written about 10,000 times through the years. You know, it, that's how people get to that point. So I, I think the Netflix thing, I think a lot of it in, in is sponsor driven. Um, a lot of it is sponsor driven. Sure. You know, you, you have, look at Toyota and, and I'll use them not, and this is not a slam on Toyota, but during the course of the race, we will list four or five times how the Toyota drivers are running. Okay. Because it's, and it's, it's an ad buy. It's an ad buy. It's the Toyota pace car. It's the Toyota, you know, let's get up to speed lap. It's a Toyota, you know, let's turn up the volume, whatever it is. Yeah. So along on that train, then you're going to get Denny Hamlin and, you know, you're going to get Kyle Busch. You're going to get those guys. So I, I think there's, I think presentation and, and when you talk about the Netflix thing and you talk about Formula One, it's presentation to a new audience, to a broader audience who's interested in that and doesn't just look at it and say, well, how Kyle Larson do? You know what I mean? They, they want to know more than that because they're learning the sport and they want to understand that. When you're just pitching it to people that already know the sport, they want to know how Kevin Harvick did and how Kyle Busch did and how Kyle Larson did. They don't really care. Um, if we look at BJ McLeod and say, you know, BJ told us on, on a show not long ago, if I can run 30th, that's a win for my organization at the cup yeah. level, you know, and, yeah. and he's, and he's busted off some 25th and 26th place finishes. And man, Daytona had to feel like he won the championship yeah. he comes out of there with a top 10. And you know what? And I'm going to say this to you. I don't give a rat's rear end if they had 16 wrecks and tore up everybody's car. <laughs> when they dropped the green flag, every car there was whole. When they That's dropped it. the green flag, every driver had a shot. Every driver had a shot when they dropped the green flag. BJ and, and Belinky and those guys, they made it through the accidents. They did what they needed to do. And you know what? They were rewarded for it. So more power to them. Yeah, exactly. Dale, like Dale Jr. this weekend went and ran, you know, the Xfinity race. And I think it was honestly great that his like hardest battles of the day were with Josh Williams and Alex LeBay because it's yeah. just the Xfinity field is so deep. And he was talking about that, how competitive is back there. And I'm going to be doing like a piece later in the year on like the Xfinity series. We talk about it so much on this show, like obviously with Tommy Joe being here, the depth of the Xfinity series and how much talent there is back there racing for the smaller teams like you talked about, Kyle. So I think it was a great thing to have, you know, Dale Jr. while he wasn't like competing for the lead, you know, he got out of the car and talked about how competitive it was back there battling with josh williams with alex lebay yeah. with all those guys back yeah. there i mean the guy sitting right here in this zoom almost gosh it, it's gonna bites me but almost won stage one so close but even just a, a, a second place finish in stage two for the sponsor they were talking about that on the broadcast like i'm sure you've watched it back yeah. but how good it is for the sponsors oh, right yeah. to just be yeah. running up there and you know battling with aj almdinger and people maybe who didn't even know tommy joe martins who were watching that broadcast because the cup race was later in the day now they know who you are so i think it's great that we have such a great depth in the xfinity series i think nbc does do a pretty great job of covering most of the teams back throughout the field you know who may not know you know where jade buford you know came from and yeah. everything that he's exactly. done and now being in the xfinity series like i asked I asked Austin Sindrick, you know, like a month ago about the depth of the Xfinity series. And he talked to me for like 
three, four minutes about like all the talent throughout the field. And that's the champion at the very top, right? Going for his second. And I think it's just so cool that he recognizes that and that the Xfinity. So, I mean, it's so important to have that depth in and throughout the field. And I'm sure you, Kyle, like, you know, being there at the track every week, seeing these teams, uh, I'm sure it's very important. Well, and, and before Kyle, before you answer this, I, I just want to follow up with that and go, that's kind of what legitimizes people like me, and people like Jade Buford, and people like Jeremy Clements, or Ryan Sieg, or Brandon Brown, or Josh, or Alex LeBay, or whoever it is, right? When Kyle Petty is on TV talking about you, no. it does it legitimizes you to your sponsors, it legitimizes the fans, and that's what does it, right? And it's like, it might be a real throwaway moment on the broadcast, right? Like, eventually, I might finish 26th or whatever, but for that moment... I'll get 30 text messages from everybody that supports me, right? Yeah. And, but but let, me, let me say this to, to that point that you just bring up is it might just be for a few laps. It might be for 15 laps, okay? But when I first learned to drive, here, here's the way it was. My dad said, my dad said, we're going to lap you. We're going we're gonna to lap you every six or seven laps, okay? We're just going to lap you. That's just the way it is. And he said, but here's how you learn to drive. When I come around you, see how long you can follow me. In the beginning, you won't be able to follow me through the first and second corner. But then you get to go through the first and second, and then you get to three and four, and you can follow me. And the next thing you know, you can follow me for one lap. Then you can follow me for 10 laps. And the next thing you know, you're racing with me, okay? It legitimizes you because there's a moment in time when you're learning, you're getting better, and you're doing your job. Now, I'm going to go back to the Dale Jr. thing, okay? Because here's my point on, on that, that, that Tommy, you and I were just talking about, Tommy, is this. Why weren't we talking about Josh Williams before Dale Jr.? Why weren't we talking about those guys before Dale Jr.? It took Dale Jr. to get on the racetrack and run with those guys before the media mentioned those guys' names. Okay? And that's not the way it should be. That's the cart before the horse. You know what I mean? We should have been talking about Josh Williams. We should have been talking about the guys he was racing with. We should have been talking about you without Dale Jr. That's my whole point to, back to, to when you talk about Formula One, you talk about other sports. We should take time. in a in, in the Xfinity series, and I'm, I will say this in defense of TV and everybody, the, defini- the Xfinity series is tougher because they're such short races. You know what I mean? You got to get to it. You guys, your segment, man, y'all run segments and they're 45 laps. And it's like before, right as you fall in, you know, the segment's over. But in the Cup Series, you should be able to talk about people because you have stretches that are just, man, you're begging for something to talk about. But Dale Jr. running gave those guys a lot of exposure. If Dale Jr. hadn't been racing there, we wouldn't have heard Josh Williams' name. Okay. If, if you could go back and take that out, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have heard it because he didn't do anything all day long. We would have heard your name because you drove through the pack and drove up to the front, you know, because of strategy and, and it worked perfect and it was great TV and it looked good, but we've got to figure out when to make your moment shine, but to also mention that this guy's having a pretty good run. This guy's running, you know, right now he's running 14th and he's battling for 14th hard and he's battling with a guy that's in the playoffs and, and that kind of thing, just like we're doing, just like has been done the last couple of weeks with Ross Chastain. Here's a guy, yeah. 
you hadn't heard of. Now he's running up front and he's battling with the guys that are challenging and taking points away from guys that need points. Uh, and that creates a story. Yeah. And so, and so how much is this, like, Kyle, is it you, the broadcaster, kind of driving this to the producers? Is it the producers coming to you with this? Like, obviously, you have pit reporters. You have people in the booth. You yeah. have you guys pre-race, post-race. How much of this is the back and forth? Uh, like, what percentage of this is y'all coming to them or, or them coming to you or what? Yeah. that And, and honestly, honestly, it's the pit reporters. If I could give every driver a tip, make a pit reporter your friend. You yeah. know what I mean? Because they drive the stories. They drive stories from pit road. They drive stories back to the truck that will say, hey, you know, today this is what's happening. This is why these guys have these names on. You know, Dave Burns is one of the best in the business. I'm telling sure. you, getting walking through the garage area and getting those stories and being able to mention it, and then you get TV time. Those guys drive it. TV's main goal, just like, and we can go to the U.S. Open in tennis and we can go to Wilmington or Wimbledon. They're going to show center court. That's all they care about. They're going to show center court, dude. They may be playing 15 other matches all around, but unless there's a huge upset at one of those matches and some kid in junior high, you know, beats somebody, it doesn't make any difference. So the TV, as they have their meetings and as we have meetings, uh, and, and they do it, we do it in radio too. You, you, you know, you know, Larson's going after his sixth win in a row. You know, Byron's had 10 races where he's finished inside the top, whatever, whatever. Those are your storylines and you're going to feed off those, but there's room for other storylines. We just don't know them. And they have to come from, from the garage area and they have to come to the pit reporters. That's why knowing Parker Kligerman, by knowing, you know, Dave Burns, Marty Snyder, guys like that, you know, it just get in their ear, just talk to them. Um, and they do, they do a lot in the same way with Fox, Jamie Little and those people, they drive, they drive a lot of good info. What does this look like in five years, Kyle? No idea, dude. No idea. I mean, <laughs> no I don't either. That's no why idea. I'm asking. I really don't. Yeah, I, I, I think no I idea. feel the most clueless I've ever felt. Listen, I think NASCAR is getting ready to make a big announcement tomorrow uh, on some scheduling stuff. And sure. when they make this one, you may do a whole podcast on this one because it's, it's <laughs> going to blow some people away on what's on that stuff. Honestly, I mean, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. And yeah. this car, you know, I, I, the, the, you hear this on the car and you hear that on the car. You know what I mean? I mean, no, I don't know what this car is going to be. Right. Um, what's this car going to be like when it gets in an accident? What's this car going to be like? you know, on the road courses, what's it going to be like on the speedways? What, you know, we don't know that I've, I've run, they just run a test at Daytona and everybody's like, Oh, hell to the 2022 car. You know I mean? It's a great, listen, I've been on enough tests with enough new cars in my career that a test is a test and racing is something totally different, man. And nothing shows up in the test that ever shows up in a race. You know what I mean? You just don't give it 100% in a test. I'm sorry. I'm not going to go out there and give it 100%, but when you do, something changes. So I don't know where this car is going. Um, mechanical or mechanically, with all the stuff that's changed on these cars, it's going to be fascinating to watch them. How that, how that technology finds its way into the Xfinity series. What's the truck series going to be? Um, will there even be a truck series in the next four or five years? I don't know. 
You know, will we add more road courses? Will some short tracks come back? Will people all of a sudden jump jump on the on the boat and the new boat is we want short tracks and now Wilkesboro is back or now we bring Rockingham, some of these places back. You know, I, I have no idea. Um, I do know that we're going to do the same thing that my granddad did. We're going to start at a white line. We're going to run for a time and we're going to end at the same place. We're not going to go anywhere. You know what I mean? We're just going to run in circles or through a road, whatever that may be. But that part never changes. And the desire of drivers to win is never going to change. And the desire of teams to take what they're given and find a competitive advantage is never going to change. So the core, if we can take that core spirit and, and make the show better on the racetrack, then all the other change will take care of itself. But we can't hide, I don't believe we can hide a bad product on the racetrack with more road courses, more fluff, more, more gimmicks. We have to make that. And I'm hoping that the focus for the next four or five years, because it's a new car at the cup level, that becomes the focus. The focus comes back to the track. The focus comes back to those four rubber patches that touch the track, yeah. those four tires and they come back to making that product the best product that we can have. Because just as in Formula One, as you talk about that, when the racing's better on the racetrack, and IndyCar racing this year has been the same way, the fans will come back. The fans will come back. You can run all the dirt races you want to. You can run all these tracks backwards if you want to. Yeah. And they'll show up for once, once or twice, but they're not going to stay there a long time. You give them a good product, they'll come up for a long time. Yeah. That's yeah. something we talk about a lot is like, do you like, Kyle, do you feel like, you know, kind of what you were saying there, NASCAR, you know, needs to focus more on what's made NASCAR NASCAR instead of like other things, you know, outside of that. Well, it's, it's like a slider. It's a slider, Kyle, between like racing and entertainment, right? Yeah, and like yeah, how yeah. far are we going one way to the other? Yeah, it, it, it most definitely is. You know, when Formula One got into their engineering exercises um, a number of years back, and it was, could Ferrari out-engineer McLaren? Could McLaren, you know, out-engineer Renault? Whatever it may be. Um, then we saw years when there was never a pass. There was, there was not even a pass on the racetrack. That's right. not good racing. No. And, and they realized that. And they had to do something. So we can't let engineering be the conductor or be the engineer of the train. Okay? You, you can't. There, there's that mix. And we have to... We have to have a product on the racetrack um, where the racing's good. And, and for the racing to be good, everybody can't run the same speed because then it is a train. You know, you've got to have different people running different speeds. So, I mean, there's so many things, but, but I think they're, I do believe they're headed in the right direction. I do believe at least they're open to change. We started this conversation about how much change had been in the sport. Yeah. If ever there was a time in this sport, um, then if ever there was a time in, in the sport, NASCAR is open to change. And you talk about NASCAR getting back to the basics. you got to get back to the car. The car is what it's all about. It's what it was in the beginning. That's what it's always been. And that's what it will end being. It has car in the title, NASCAR. It's, it's there <laughs> for a reason, okay? But there were Dodge fans. There were Pontiac fans. There were Buick fans. There were Chevy fans. There were Ford fans. Long before there were Richard Petty fans or Kelly Yarborough fans or 
or David Pearson or, or Dale Earnhardt fans. They were car fans. They were car fans as kids. They loved those cars no matter who drove it. We've got to get back to that at some point in time where fans are fans of the car and they become fans of the driver. All right. Well, thanks a lot for spending time with us this morning, Kyle. I know you got a, got a lot going on. And clearly, we do too here at the shop. So thanks for hanging out with us. <laughs> Thank you guys. I see the board behind you. You got a ton going on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, man. All awesome, good. Thanks, buddy. Thanks so much for hey. coming on. All right. Huge thank you to Kyle Petty for coming on today. Awesome insight provided. Uh, like like I said, when Kyle, when Kyle Petty tells you to listen, you listen. So <laughs> that was so cool to have him on here. Great insight provided. I'll definitely have to even just go back and listen to all that myself. So much great information from the past for the future, all that going on. So a lot of announcements or official announcements came out even while we were even recording that part, uh, we were talking about the Xfinity series and how loaded it's going to be for next year. We know that Sheldon Creed will join Richard Childress Racing full-time for next season. That is definitely going to be someone to watch, being a truck champion, going after another this year. Uh, we know Justin Allgaier is now coming back to the seven-car full-time, and we'll see you know, what Mike Lynette does and potentially five junior motorsports cars next season, which would be wild. Um, and potentially two Richard Childress racing cars. We'll see what they do there. So Xfinity Series is loading up for 2022, and uh, obviously the cutoff race is for the playoffs this year is sure to be interesting at Bristol. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think Sheldon Creed's a great fit at RCR. Um, I think Sheldon's actually going to be better in an Xfinity car than he is in a truck. I think this is going to really suit his driving style. I think yeah. the schedule lines up well for him. Um, I think RCR uh, really bagged uh, a great fit there uh, with Sheldon and Sheldon, uh, just a tremendous talent. So he's going to be great. Uh, I don't think there was any surprise with the announcement there with Justin Allgaier returning. I don't think anybody saw anything different happening there. Um, and the question there is the five cars is really Michael Lynette. What's going to happen there with Michael Lynette? Is he stepping away? Uh, at times this year, you would probably ask that question. Has uh, had an injury, kind of come back from that. At times, like it looked like he was almost kind of taking optional time off. Um, is is this something he still won't do? Right? I mean, obviously with his uh, sponsorship there with with Flying J and, and Pilot, uh, he's going to be able to do this as long as he really wants to do it. Right? So that's he's not in a sponsorship situation, right? Where this is in flux year to year. He's just going to get to make a decision of, is this something I want to keep doing, right? Yeah. Um, and that's going to be up to him. I don't know when we're going to get that confirmed, uh, but I think we're going to expect that here fairly soon. And I would expect Annette to come back, uh, especially at a time right now where he's basically going to win and get in for the playoffs. And, and I'm sure that probably leaves a bad taste in his mouth. So, you know, obviously the season could have played out differently for him as well, not missing races. Uh, but I think there's still work to be done there. I, I would expect them to be coming back. We're seeing the field take shape. Something we've talked about, RJ. Um, clearly, uh, the Xfinity Series is going to be deeper next year. We're seeing new teams pop up, uh, not just at the front of the field, but throughout the field. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I'm sure the door is open for Mike Lynette to come back. You know, you see Dale Jr. is kind of yeah. taking his shot of drivers. Obviously, Josh Berry uh, getting a ride. You know, we know Sam Mayer is going to be in the car full time next year. So I'm sure with his partnership with Flying J and all that, uh, he will 
probably have the door open to make a return. And and with how unfortunate this year turned out with him really looking like he was going to be able to kind of coast to a playoff spot on points, ended up missing those few races. And now, you know, in a must-win situation going into Bristol as Riley Herbst is kind of overtaking that spot and Jeremy Clements right above Riley Herbst, which I think has been a very solid season for, for Clemens all around. He, I don't think the entire season he's been below that cut line. He has yeah, been look at who he's had to beat to get into the playoffs here. Yeah. And that's going to probably go down as, as the most impressive spot in the playoffs overall. Um, and, and this has been earned. I mean, in the top 10, often in the top 15, often solid, consistent finishes really feels like he maximizes his finishing position every, every week. And uh, you know, that's something that I'll admit we've struggled to do at times. We probably run better than we have finished Whereas Jeremy very often feels like he almost sometimes finishes better than he runs. And those are the moments that you have to do. And that's not me dissing anybody here. I'm saying that there's a level of like kind of taking advantage of an opportunity uh, at the end of these races uh, to go up there and get some points. So he's also had tremendous runs, uh, especially on short tracks where they've shown a lot of speed. Um, their mile and a half program has improved this year. And I think that's what's really allowed them to be a threat to make the playoffs. They've really stepped up there. Um, Got to give credit to their crew chief coming in. They brought him in full time. They said it was the first time they'd ever had a full time crew chief coming in. And clearly, uh, there has been an improvement there uh, on the 51 car. And, and Jeremy just does such a great job. So, you got to, I think that's the one we really got to be tipping our cap to here as we go to Bristol, as we go to a track where he's had a lot of success qualifying in the top five at Bristol before, running well there. Um, so this is a, a race that he sees as an opportunity for another great finish um, for them kind of building up a little bit of momentum as we go to a playoff stretch there at the, the Xfinity series. It's going to go Las Vegas, Talladega, and then Charlotte Roval. Really a wild card deal that Clements, I'm sure, looks at that and goes, okay, look, if I can just get a top 15 at Vegas, uh, Talladega, anything can happen. And I'll go try to get stage points there. And then on a road course, I feel really confident that I can run inside the top 10 and get stage points there too. So Jeremy looks at that, the way that sets up and goes, man, I don't see why I can't get out of the first round. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we, I mean, we, we talked at the beginning of the year, those kind of locks, like how deep the field was and locks for the playoffs. Like we have, you know, Ryan Sieg, Brendan Brown, who are both playoff drivers last year on the outside looking in, they would have to win at, at Bristol to get in Michael Annette too, as well, obviously. So it's going to be interesting. And we know that next year it's going to be even deeper. So the playoff fight I'm sure is going to be very, very tough next year, but Bristol, I'm, I'm very excited. Like you said, that wild card round is the opening round for the Xfinity series. It's the second round for the cup series. You got Vegas, Talladega, Charlotte Roval. That's just, that, that is the wild card round. Really. You're going to go out Vegas to, uh, have, have a solid run and whatever happens at Talladega and Charlotte Roval happens. Um, I know Charlotte, when Charlotte Roval comes up for the Xfinity series, I've been trying to plan a little one year, one year anniversary of the absolute monsoon <laughs> that happened yeah. in that race for the, like Xfinity the worst series. race that's ever been run. Yeah. Oh gosh. Uh, yeah. Uh, that for was sure. Uh, it, it was, it was, it was a complete disaster, but yeah. uh, we know it's going to be a wild card race. We know that's going to be a wild card round there with Talladega and the Roval thrown into it. Uh, it's the same thing there for the cup guys. They, they look at that and see those tracks coming up in what is going to be the second round of their playoffs. And it is an absolute wild card round. Uh, so really the way these things shape up, Bristol for the Cup Series now is a cutoff race, which is another fantastic place for a cutoff race, right? We're going to see a lot of crazy action and storylines there. Um, 
And Bristol for us, the playoffs picture is mostly settled in the Xfinity series uh, going into this weekend, but it's still going to be a real heck of a race every single time we go there. Yeah. And, you know, before we kind of wrap it up here, I know Richmond for you, it was seemed like the greatest thing ever turned into what the heck happened in a matter of like 10 minutes. Um, But I know, you know, seeing the Alpha Prime colors on there out there for the first time, kind of a preview of what the car will look like next year. I know Raj was at the track with you guys and being able to take that strategy and fly like 20 five something positions at Richmond, which I didn't even think was possible, but it happened. Uh, you were diving three. Like when you first took that strategy, did you have it in your mind? Like, okay, we can go win the stage or did that kind of like come about once you got to, no, like, I, I thought we were, yeah, I thought we were going to be able to go get stage points for sure. Uh, you know, and, and tire wear there. Richmond is always such a factor. Um, and I just noticed everybody was really struggling for grip there at the beginning of the race. So it wasn't necessarily just the tires, right? It was also the fact that we got to make an adjustment on the car, uh, whereas everybody else was kind of dealing with what they had. Now, we knew that was going to hurt us later in the in the race, but we've always taken the approach that if we felt like we could go get top five level stage points, that we should always probably just lean towards doing that because you don't know what's going to happen at the end of the race. It could turn into a complete mess. It could turn into a bunch of little short runs, it, you know, w- which probably not at Richmond, but when you get an opportunity to really just take the points, take the points. So Dan made an adjustment on the car. We went out, ran the laps. Uh, I think when I got up around sixth or seventh um, with about 20 to go, I said, okay, I think we might actually have a shot at this. Um, and then I think I caught AJ with around nine or 10 to go. Uh, so there was plenty of time there for me to get the job done um, around him. I didn't feel like I really needed to force it. I got by him. Obviously, lap traffic, are very different when you're the leader. And there's only a few laps to go left in the stage, right? And everybody was racing me, you know, pretty hard there. They're, they're trying to hold me up. They're trying to stop uh, me from getting the next guy, which would then, you know, they, they know I'm going to get them. Uh, but your idea is if I can hold him up just a little bit, maybe I'll be the lucky dog. He won't catch the next guy, right? So uh, just everybody's going to race you differently. And, and I got a little taste of that. Uh, I'm not going to act like I did the best job getting through the lap traffic. I'm trying to take care of my car too and not put myself in a compromised position, whereas those guys, that was their whole race, right? It was all right there um, if they had fallen uh, a lap down. So. I could have probably done that better. Obviously, David uh, out of the last corner. Yeah, it's a you know pretty shitty move uh, what took place there. Uh, David called me on Sunday and apologized, um, but also said that he did it on purpose. So was that him doing it out of spite? No, but but his spotter was basically on the radio telling him like, all right, leaders are coming here, and hey, outside. And then went, move up, move up, move up to basically come across my nose in the middle of the corner. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it did cost me the stage win, and that's a bummer. But, but that's not really what killed our race. Uh, that was a factor for sure, because unfortunately, A.J. Allmendinger was pitted right next to me. And then I had to go around him on a pit stop, and we had a really slow pit stop, whereas if I had won, we would have just come in clean and it would have probably been better for both he and I, if we had won for the pit stop wise. 
Uh, and then that put us in the middle of the field. And then obviously we got into an incident with Spencer Boyd where I got spun out. Um, watching that, it's probably somewhat my fault, right? I'm not taking all the blame for it. Spencer had more room to his inside. And Justin Haley, who had made it three wide on the bottom, it was a pretty aggressive move. But, I mean, that, I get it. You, you, that's what you do at Richmond. Uh, and there was a little more room to his inside. So I don't feel like I really needed to get hit. But I definitely was coming down. Uh, kind of came across his nose. And at that point, we only had two sets of tires for 175 laps. And then we burned up one of them, uh, you know, five laps into the stage. So at that point, uh, really, we only had one set of tires left for 160 laps. And we're just kind of screwed at that point. And uh, my crew chief was really faced with a tough position where he went, am I going to do a set of 35 lappers? Am I going to do my only set of stickers left or am I going to leave them out there on these tires that we just spun out with and, and hope that they're okay? And so that's what we went with. And obviously they were not okay. So we went three laps down and in the next 60 laps and, and that basically ruined the race there at the end of the race. Um, not quite sure what happened, uh, but obviously had a, a underinflated tire or a, a tire going down or, a, you know, it didn't blow out, but clearly something happened there where, uh, we hit the wall and, and totaled a car uh, really for no reason, already running 35th. So that that's the part of it that is the real bummer that we're dealing with this week is is tearing up a race car really at a time you're already having a bad day. Uh, so that's what sucks. Um, but really, that's not the takeaway, right? The takeaway was it was a really good call. Uh, we obviously had a pretty fast car. We, we ran the sixth fastest time yeah. of anybody in the entire race. Um, so clearly we had a pretty fast race car. Um, and I think that's what you should be encouraged by here is looking at it that way. Alpha prime got a lot of television time. Like we were talking about with Kyle there. Uh, so it was a big day for them. Big day for the team. Uh, cool day for me. Obviously I wish it went a little differently. Uh, obviously I'm, that's something that'll be, you know, something I think about until the next time, uh, which hopefully there is a next time. Um, and we've shown that we've had enough speed to, put ourselves in position to maybe go do these things. And the thing is uh, when we do these moments and we, you know, get in the top three at Darlington or we get into the, you know, to the lead at, at Richmond, um, it just makes me think that more people are going to try it. <laughs> so it probably won't be as easy the next time. Uh, yeah. Not like it was easy uh, going through from 28th to first, uh, but uh, you know, there'll be other guys that probably take that kind of strategy too. So we're going to have to change up some of the stuff that we do and, and I'll have to get a little bit better also, uh, you know, finishing it out. I mean, I, I had the faster car and I finished second in that and I'm the one driving it. So I look at that and go, you know what? I probably didn't do a good enough job. Yeah. Clearly I had some stuff working against me uh, in a few instances there. Um, but at the same time, it's my job uh, to get around them and, and, and close it out one stage. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see how Bristol is, you know, this weekend for tires. I know obviously they just had dirt on it for months and took it off. And I think they had to put some like stuff on the track or something like that uh, to just really get the dirt out or I don't know. I know they're going to, I don't know if they're putting down PJ one or resin. Are they, did they decide on that yet? Or Uh, So I haven't heard anything about it. Um, It's been such a wild week for us with everything we've had going on. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to get the competition today. update here either today or tomorrow. It seems like we're going to be getting a big announcement tomorrow. We'll have a lot to talk about on the podcast yeah. next week with the cup schedule coming out and, and how that's going to shift. And, and Kyle 
kind of lending us a little teaser that it's going to be a, a really big shakeup, um, even from what we had this year. So that is uh, wild to, to hear about. So obviously, Gateway being on the schedule, we already know that's swapping out a Pocono race. Um, I think everybody's fine with that. Uh, yeah. The question here is going to be, what does the rest of this look like? We've heard stuff about street races. <laughs> We've heard stuff about uh, more road, road courses. We've heard uh, things about short tracks and and what's going on there. So there, there's, you know, Nashville fairgrounds. What does that look like? What does Nashville Speedway look like? And uh, where are these races on the schedule? We had two races at Atlanta this year. Do we have two again? Do we just have one? We don't know what this is going to look like, and it would be foolish for us to start kind of guessing around. I think we're all just going to learn this today, which is funny. I'm in the industry. No idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. So we're all going to be learning this uh, together tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Tomorrow, big schedule release. It was actually, I think, yeah, the official confirmation gateway was last night, or I should say this morning at like 2 a.m. Adam Stern tweeted out because I had went to sleep, and for some reason I woke up at 2.30 in the morning, 3 a.m. I guess I heard the Stern bomb in my brain, and uh, <laughs> it woke me up, and I look at my phone, and it's gateway has gone to schedule. I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm like half asleep. But yeah, that, that came out last night officially, so we know Gateway will be on the schedule. We'll see what they do with the Clash, uh, with the Coliseum and everything like that. We talked about that last week, so it's going to be really interesting. Like we were talking about the Cal Petty, lots of change here in the next uh in the last few years and the next few years for sure it's gonna be yeah interesting. it's gonna be a lot going on and, and it's obviously gonna change a lot about what we do i will have my laptop out as the announcement takes place and i will be on priceline immediately booking hotel rooms for the entire <laughs> coming season um and just kind of trying to guess where the xfinity schedule falls into that um, so i will be anxiously awaiting just like everyone else yeah, hopefully we get them all tomorrow. I don't know if we're getting just one or all I got a feeling like probably just the cup schedule. Probably. Uh, it's, we, that, that's kind of the series is like, eh, yeah, it was, <laughs> we'll figure them out. We'll later. do them later. <laughs> <laughs> that's all it says. Yeah, pretty much. That's how it goes. We'll see what they end up putting on the track this weekend, but we do know it's going to be a fun weekend. We know we got two races Thursday night, ARCA trucks, then Xfinity on Friday night and the cup series on Saturday night. And then you got football we'll Sunday. We've been, I guess they've been leaving that open the last few weeks. So, so everyone can yeah, just go watch. Man, look, there, there is nothing better in NASCAR than short track racing at Bristol Motor Speedway. There, there is nothing better. And I am a stand for Darlington and I am a stand for uh, old Atlanta and daytona and a lot of these places we go and we've seen the arguments that i've gotten in on twitter about this but the peak nascar fan experience is and will always be going to dark going to bristol motor speedway yep. at night that's it that is the peak that is as good as we're going to put on a show and uh, we get to be a part of that this weekend so i cannot cannot wait and we missed out on it earlier in the season. We we, yes. we we it was a dirt race. So this is the first time we will be at, on the old school short track Bristol racing at night for sure. And every is, race is a ninety plus night. approval every single time. Yes. It is a guaranteed great race, and uh, we're definitely going to be putting on a show this yeah, weekend. Coming off a of rocky Cup, Jeff Club, I, I would assume Cup is probably going to be the biggest show as a cutoff race with so many storylines there. Uh, but I know uh, for me. And Martin's Motorsports, A and Adjusters, our sponsor, home race for them. 
Bristol is one we always circle in red on the calendar. We are really looking forward to getting there this weekend and coming off two DNFs in a row here. Uh, man, we need a, we need a finish. We need a big finish and uh, what a better place to get one. Yeah, for sure. I think cutoff race in a way for all three series. Cause I think trucks cut off first round Xfinity cut off for the playoffs cup series cut off for the first round. So a lot of definitely a lot of storylines like Kyle was talking about a lot of things to talk about this weekend. So going to be fun. So Gil, yeah, you said Gilreath is on the car, right? Yes. A and adjusters and Gilreath farms, two main sponsors there. And uh, they're going to be on the car this weekend. And uh, man, just under the lights at Bristol. I mean, it literally doesn't yeah. get better than that for us as NASCAR drivers. So just really cool to be a part of it. Awesome. So make sure everybody to tune in this week on at FS1 and NBC, NBCSN. I don't know if we're on the big NBC uh, for the cup race. I would, I would hope so. Let me do a quick check up. No, NBCSN for both races and FS1 for the truck races. So still going to be a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully everybody tunes in. Thanks to Bet Online. Thanks to Balance 7. And thanks to Kyle Petty for joining us on this weekend's episode. And schedule drops tomorrow. So we'll have an interesting episode coming out next week. We'll see you all then. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.